This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And hey, yo, it's time. Put our hands together for Hip hop, hip hop. Cause who I'm talking about, y'all, is hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who, inside of them, the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Jasiri X. I'm a, um, I guess, activist I consider first, and also a, a hip-hop artist. I'm a founding member of a, a group in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, called One Hood, where we use hip-hop as a way to um, basically, I guess, bring different neighborhoods together, kind of combat some of the violence in our community, as well as be advocates for the, the youth of our community. We also recently founded the One Hood Media Academy, to teach young African-American boys how to analyze media, uh, critique media, and also create their own media uh, so we can get a more balanced representation. They can tell their own stories. A ballad behind bars, or you could say real rock from the rock, an unusual musical happening in a most unusual place. The state prison... I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it and said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn, I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred. The first song is Black Steel and the Hour of Chaos by Public Enemy. It was properly the song that, um, upon hearing it as a youngster, caused me to want to do hip-hop. I still think it's the hardest hip-hop song ever created. It's one thing to kind of diss another rapper. <laughs> it's another thing to say I got a letter from the government open and ready and said there's some suckers, you know. I doubt that you could even make that song in the current atmosphere like I said, to me, I still think it's probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful artist, you know, hip-hop song of all time. Don't you know, they got me rotten in the time that I'm serving. Telling you what happened, the same time they're throwing. Four of us packed in a cell like slaves. Oh, well, the same motherfucker got us living in his hell. You have to realize, what is the form of slavery organized? Under a swarm of devils, straight up, where them up on the level. The reasons are several, most of them federal. Here's my plan you know, some people grew up in a church. I grew up in a conscious household. You know what I'm saying? My name is Jasiri. Jasiri Aranda is my given name. It's Swahili. So Jasiri means brave warrior. And Aranda is the, the uh, appointed one, I believe. Sometimes, you know, I'm in the on the front lines of some of these actions and rallies. And my mother gets a little nervous and I say, well, you shouldn't have named me Warrior if you didn't want me to make war. <laughs> For me, that song, Black Steel and Hour Chaos, really spoke to me in terms of, you know, just my upbringing. I don't necessarily remember where I was, but I remember being struck by Chuck's voice 
you know, he wasn't mumbling. He was he was telling it like it like it is. And so to me it was kind of as somebody that kind of grew up with being told about Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X and WB the Boys and, and Martin Luther King being pointed to them as like heroes and, and sheroes like, you know, Harriet Tubman, um, Sojourner Truth, Dr. Betty Shabazz was kinda of like, Man, this is this is kind of the epitome of that, but in a hip hop spin. So, and I just remember, like I said, being being young, but feeling like I want to do that. interesting looking back on it i guess it was sort of chuck kind of telling a story or a story resembling a shot of support's breakout you know where they bring the helicopter in and everything you know and so at, of course at the time i don't know that i just remember even the imagery around you know that video and fight the power was just such a strong those, those are just really strong images and powerful images of like a strong black man and, it, and and I think that's what what drew me in because it was like this is kind of an extension of you know how I was being raised I grew up in a single parent household I mean Kaz One Rakim P.E. like you know what I mean of course the language you know you're young and it has language you know what I'm saying my mom's gonna kind of bristle at the language but I mean the content you can't you can't front on you know I, I think she had to, you know, the feeling too that, you know, this was an, a, an extension of what she was teaching me. I think we've actually had conversations about like some of the books. You know, that was when rappers like put like books and stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of kind of pointed you to like a body of knowledge. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, we trying to bring that back today. You know, unfortunately, you know, that's not how the the mainstream hip hop works today. Grew up on the south side of Chicago. I grew up two places, uh, 72nd and Everhart, and then uh, we moved to 109th in Indiana. And it was at that point that my mom felt like, because of the neighborhood, that she wanted to move us. When I kind of started to maybe get involved in some things that I, some activities. But I mean, you know, the neighborhood. If you're familiar with the neighborhood, and so yeah, that's how I ended up in Pittsburgh. I actually moved from the south side of Chicago to a suburb. Of Pittsburgh, Carmel, and so I mean, I went through complete culture shock. I mean, my school was 100% black, and I then ended up going to a school that was 95% white. So I'm, I'm mad about that. I'm mad that I got to leave 
you know, my neighborhood and my friends. And um, it actually made me <laughs> like more militant because it was the first time that I had experienced like racism, like in your face racism. Because, you know, my interaction with white people was like I went to a Catholic school with a priest and the nuns, you know what I'm saying? But other than that, my family, everybody around me, everybody in my neighborhood, I uh, was black. And just as I began to get kind of conscious of like race and those type of things, I kind of I'm thrust into this situation. And so, I mean, looking back on it, I kind of feel like I got the best of both worlds. I feel like, you know, it's a level of education that you get when you grow up in a neighborhood that, you know, has a street element to it, or gangs. Uh, you know, my father was in the Blackstones. And then, you know, I feel like I was able to go to Monroeville. I was able to go to a good high school and get an education, uh, uh, probably a one better than what I've got if I stayed in Chicago and, and an education where I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to live or die. You know, looking back on it, I'm, I'm thankful that my mom made that sacrifice to move us here. We had no family or, or no connection. So, you know, that, that me and my sister could have better opportunities. So Monroeville like, is known is for like the Monroeville Mall. So it's like a mall. So I remember going to the mall with my mom and I remember like a white dude, I guess he was drunk and just straight up just calling us nigger. And my reaction was, of course, wanting to approach him in a violent way. And my mom kind of holding us back and just being really angry because I felt like, you know, he was disrespecting my mom and it wasn't really anything I could really do about it. And so that I remember I remember like that being like first time at the mall and it was like y'all niggas and it was it was like really shocking. I just remember just like I said being really angry. Like I said, even before Public Enemy, I was kind of raised in this my mom was like in the movement. You know, we were celebrating Kwanzaa. So I, I grew up already with that. So like I said Chuck basically just kind of reinforced the experience I had growing up. Hold up, son. Word. Yeah. To all the killers and the hundred dollar billers. For real, because who ain't no got no feelings. Feelings. Just watch my back. I got your friend. Check it out now. As hip-hop changed, my experience began to change. I dropped out of school, out of college, you know, and I was, at one point, I would say doing things that I shouldn't have been doing and trying to live a life that, you know what I'm saying, I shouldn't have been living. So, so there was a period in my life where I wasn't, I wasn't really checking for music like P.E. I don't remember where I was when I heard Shook once, but I remember hearing it for the first time. I might have been in somebody's car or something and thinking, like, everything stopping. I mean, it was like, I don't know if there was another time 
where I heard a song and I was like, what the is this? Like, and it was just a combination of the beat, especially Prodigy's first verse. You know, it's just so funny. I mean, you couldn't tell me like these dudes wasn't like Rob. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you tried to tell me they wasn't authentic gangsters, like, I might have tried to fight you. Like, I was all in. I'd never heard that level of realism when it came to like depicting street life. I was just blown away. Now, that's the album I probably played the most in my life. Uh, had to almost like at that point in time you almost had to like choose a coast i guess to say so many people in pittsburgh were heavily influenced by the west coast crips had just moved into pittsburgh and so you had this kind of dynamic where colors were introduced in certain neighborhoods with crips certain neighborhoods with blood and then kind of the place where we hung out the gang was called law mainly in a place called wilkinsburg and um it was black because of that a lot of people kind of lean towards like west coast music but i was i, I tended to like lyrics more so i was more so kind of a, a fan of east coast music so i was kind of listening for stuff that was coming out of new york for me i mean first the beat you know what i'm saying I mean, you know that beat come on and it was like it was so different and it, but it was so hard it was like what's this and then when prodigy started you know he wasn't yelling he was just saying things that were so matter of fact. And I just remember when he said, my gunshots will make you levitate. That was one line. I was just like, I almost wanted to stop the song and be like, hold up, man. What? You know what I'm saying? Your crew is featherweight. I'm only 19 when my mind is old. And when the thing gets for real, my world heart turns cold. Enough nigga deceased, another story gets told. It ain't nothing, really. And you done sparked the Philly so I could get my mind off these yellow back. While they still alive, I don't know, go figure Meanwhile, back in Queens, the realness and foundation If I die, I couldn't choose a better location When the slugs penetrate, you feel a burning sensation Getting closer to God in a tight situation now Take these words home and think it through Or the next rhyme I write might be about you Sunday show, cause ain't no such things as halfway crooks Scared to death and scared to look They shook, cause ain't no I was like, wow, like I said, I mean, I'd heard quote-unquote gangster rap But... I never heard it in such a, I guess, a gritty, realistic package. You shook, scared to death. You scared to look. So you imagining like, you know, you walking down the street and you don't even want to make eye contact. Oh, you shook. And then I don't know if you remember the video where they was like in projects and they had like the the Hennessy joints on, and it was real. Like it wasn't flashy. I don't know if Puff did. Puff was out at this time, but it was like. One that was it wasn't trying to be flashy, it wasn't trying to like rock no ice, and then it was just like, yo, we straight from the project, son. And it was like, yeah, this is this is real. I believe I was a believer. But you the one and sometimes wonder, do I deserve to live? 
front if you want, kid, lay on your back I don't fake dance, kid, you know I bring it to your life Stay in a child's place, kid, you out of line Criminal mind, thirsty for recognition I'm sipping, E&J got my mind flipping I'm bucking, digging my was out of hope for hustling Get that loot, kid, you know my function Cause long as I'm alive, I'm alive, illegal And once I get on them, I put on all my people's React quick, spill lyrics like Max, I hit your dome up When I roll up the beat, go sleep because I'm free Sunny, so I mean, at this point in my life, I definitely wasn't living a conscious lifestyle. You know, I had begun to experiment with drugs, alcohol, and some, you know what I'm saying, and kind of hang out. So I'm not in Moroville no more. You know what I'm saying? I'm in Wilkinsburg, which is, it's right outside of Pittsburgh, but it's like the hood. This is kind of the individuals I was hanging around. So, you know, even though I, I lived in Moroville, I, I wasn't there. It definitely was something that went along with, you know, where I began to go in my in my life. You know, I'm I'm coming from Chicago, and so for me, I'm searching for a place that I'm more familiar with. The music that I was, you know, we was we was bumping was music that reflected that. Early 90s is when I first started writing. You know, a friend of mine got some, some turntables and he was like, write a rhyme and it wasn't really good. And, you know, interestingly enough, just along the way, people, some for some reason, encouraged me to continue writing. So I did. It was interesting because probably like shortly after this, this is like mid 90s, it was probably the first song that really broke through Pittsburgh is a song called Ghetto Soundcheck by a dude named Tuffy Tough. And it was kind of like a reggae-influenced song, but it was like, I mean, it was a Pittsburgh hit. And then you had Dr. Dre come and really get with three producers from Pittsburgh and two MCs. The three producers was a guy named Butter, a dude named Mailman, who you all may have heard of, and you may have also heard of Sam Sneed. And Sam Snead was actually from an area outside of Pittsburgh called McKeesport. He did the song, I Think You Better Recognize. And that that was, that song was like the first song by like a Pittsburgh rapper that was like a national song. I heard Sam was going solo. Hot damn, you didn't know so. Well, I can blast fast or freak a ill type of slow flow. I'm hitting harder than Barry Bonds, so check the golden child. Doing it to your ear hole. Got you going buck wild with truck tracks. Rhymes on deck, breaking off niggas. Proper did dirt, did west, cause I clown cop. And then it was like a, a MC named Infinite who had like a, a big hit in Pittsburgh. It was actually it's interesting because Infinite is in a group called After the Third. And one of the hits that he had was when Go Shorty, It's Your Birthday, Go Shorty. And then, you know, you see him with Dr. Dre and him and then you see 50 Cent use that same hook. In, in the club We just all assumed He took it from Infinite And that was that Pittsburgh influence You know what I'm saying Another dude named Christian Who was from here Was kind of like writing But then a little bit later on Another guy named Joe Beast And so I feel like That's kind of like The unwritten story of Pittsburgh That our best like producers And MCs was kind of like 
taken away from us. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like that kind of set the scene back a little bit because we didn't have those people there. They were out, but they were helping to make the Chronic. By the time you get to the Chronic 2001, Mailman co-produced the whole whole album. So kind of Pittsburgh's influence has been more behind the scene. So we knew about it as Pittsburghers, but people in hip hop really didn't know. It's funny because around this time, Pittsburgh kind of begins on the cusp of this economic, I guess, rebuilding. Pittsburgh went through its recession in the 70s, and they begin to invest in um, technology. They begin to invest in the um, hospitals and the medical industry and then at the education industry at colleges. So, you know, now, of course, I don't know if y'all know, Pittsburgh is considered like America's most livable city. But if you don't have like an advanced degree, you know, we have, we also had the poorest black community in the country, Pittsburgh. And so the 90s in Pittsburgh, like I said, were probably the most violent times because when the gangs first came, people got it popping. And it was different than Chicago in the sense that my experience with the gangs in Chicago were gangs that were very organized. And it was less organized and people got it popping. If you was in a neighborhood, you kind of stayed in that neighborhood because crossing neighborhoods at that time was dangerous, you know, and I mean, I had one friend shot six times, another friend killed, I was shot at, it was a, a, a definitely a time that wasn't, it was wild, it was wild, you know, I got, got there and just started getting acclimated, but I was like, yo, pretty, it was pretty wild. I wanted to rap, but I really didn't have a concept of the business of it. You know, I was under the impression that I was just going to make a whole bunch of good songs and Russell Simmons was going to come knocking at the door, you know, and I just really didn't have a, a clear focus as to how that was going to take place. But I wanted to be this rapper. And so school wasn't interesting to me anymore, especially, you know, the further in it you get, the harder it becomes and then maybe the more tedious it becomes and so I begin to feel like I don't wanna I don't wanna read these books. I don't wanna do these papers. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have the interest, I like lost interest and so that's when I kind of just started doing my own thing and you know, I end up dropping out. Of course my mom was really, really hurt. I ended up having to move back home. And so it was like shortly after that I kinda like looked up and was like, Alright, like what am I gonna really do with my life? It's very humbling to like leave your house and then go back to that little room that you grew up in with the, with the posters on the wall. You know what I mean? It's like, damn, I don't want to be here as an adult. And so that's kind of made me feel like I need to change my life. You got a hell of a If I need to be 
brought in line or refined. Who better to do it than the members of my own family? We don't get in your family business. You stay out of ours. For me, it was a friend of mine's house that I was hanging at. I went over there, and he was playing a, a lecture at Minister Farrakhan. And I was like, I'd heard him before. And it kind of was like, hey, man, can I borrow that? And I, and I borrowed it. I, I watched it. I felt like it was like a father talking to a son, like a father that I didn't have. You know what I'm saying? And it made me say, all right, man, look, I need to put the weed down, especially because I was, I was a weed head. I guess now it's fashionable you know what I'm uh, I was I was a little ahead of the curve when it came to the, to the weed smoke I had to put it down and begin to change my life and so for me it was coming into the nation and beginning to read again about my history and my culture things that were interesting to me and uh, that's what got me into a better frame of mind and kind of like where I am right now and then realizing like okay I can still do hip-hop but I could talk about things that are more relevant to what's really going on in our community you know I have fulfilled all of my prophecies. I'm up to date in all of my predictions. My train is running on schedule. One for the money, two for the pussy and fame Three hundred to go to the court to change my name Like cashes, the past just show me lessons Stay on my grind and pray that time will show me blessings Was my old model I'm from the Magnolia Projects Where dice rollers and heroin addicts is role models So when Hood came about It came about around like shortly after 2005 We went to the 10th anniversary of the Million Man Mars We went to the Hip Hop Political Convention Which was actually in Chicago that year And we went to, we were invited to a gathering by Harry Belafonte. And so coming back from these events, we felt like, okay, we want to do, we didn't just want to go to these events and be like, hey, we went. We wanted to do something, like take what we've been learning and do it in our community. So we started meeting. And, and like I said, those brothers that I mentioned were all like younger and we all are like inspired by hip hop. Our kind of elder in one hood is Paradise who, if you're familiar with X-Clan, he was the architect of X-Clan and, you know, one of the founding members of the Black Watch movement. So we all started meeting and we decided One Hood as a name because it was hip-hop. It wasn't corny to us. It was like, okay, that's hot. And uh, then we started doing things. So the first thing we did was in one neighborhood, it was uh, six shootings in a 21-hour period and a three- and a four-year-old got, got shot. And so instead of like a press conference, we gathered up members of our respective communities. We took about 40 brothers and we just walked the streets, talked to people, interacted with people. And the response we got was so crazy that we, we kept doing it in different communities. And then right after that, police officer in Pittsburgh pulled a gun on a seven-year-old girl and said he was going to blow her brains out. And so we began to organize around that. And it was like that kind of thrust us into community's eye where it was like oh who's one hood see cause we broke they forget about the hood so when you vote don't forget about the hood I ain't telling folks don't get about the hood just when you living good don't forget about the hood let's say we did it for the hood put on your fitting in your hood 
I'm talking to those you know that's living in the hood that ain't getting what they should. We won't forget about the hood. We lost and forgotten. With one hood, we were able to, me being somebody from the nation, uh, one of the other founding members is a brother named Lukman Abdul Salam. We came from the Sunni community. We built a lot with brothers uh, named Majestic and Knowledge who come from the Nation of Gods and Earths. And so in some other cities, it might be some type of friction between those communities. But it was hip-hop that brought us all together. We all had some connection with hip-hop, rhymed or did spoken word. So we did a lot of stuff together in terms of like helping our community. So One Hood was like an umbrella that we would do a lot of stuff under. And so it caused us to have, I think, a unity here across those lines that, you know, you might not see in other cities. We felt like, how are we going to tell the gangs to unify? And a lot of times, the people, in, whether you're in the church or the constant community, we be the most divided. No, that's why we got to come together and show unity and then we could talk to them about unity. And so it was just a powerful thing. And it really, to me, I feel like a lot of the work we did on the streets of Pittsburgh began to lead to like the, the hip hop renaissance you see right now because it was Paradise who actually had the idea for the Pittsburgh Hip Hop Awards. So the first one was 1,500 people, all these different communities together celebrate hip hop and there was no violence. The second year, Wiz wins most of the awards and then the year after that, he's gone. So it, it gave us, it was that and it was a guy who opened a place called the Shadow Lounge and it was like a place where we all could rock. To me, those are the things that really set the stage for Pittsburgh hip hop to get taken to the next level and Roston Records, like actually having a record company that was connected to the industry here in the city. Those are the things I think led to Pittsburgh having the, the renaissance it is right now. I'm talking to those you know that's living in the hood That they ain't getting what they should We won't forget about the hood As an artist, you know, now I had a, a, a greater responsibility If I'm going to get on this microphone and say something You know, it should be something that's going to uplift One of the things that, the, you know, Minister Farrakhan talks about is like It's bigger than just us as an individual It's bigger than me making a song, making a hit song and getting something for myself. Like, nah, I need to begin to use my music to try to reach other people and try to uplift people and, and use my gift to help the whole community, not just me. It's funny, I just did a workshop with some young brothers and it's really using it, utilizing the truth. Pittsburgh, they did a report and they said 96% of the time they cover black men in the local media, it's crime or sports. Really, 86% of that is crime. We know we don't do crime 86% of the times, and why are we represented like that? And a lot of it is, well, who owns and who runs the media? It's a statistical fact that there are more white drug users and sellers. How come we don't see that narrative in music or in mainstream entertainment? And so it was just interesting to, to ask that question and have them thinking like, damn, he, what what is going on? You know what I'm saying? And so we start with really like breaking down the image that you see to the reality, you know, the reality is two chains graduated second in his class in high school and has a college degree. And so it's like, well, why then does he have to be this character in order to exist in this media infrastructure? 
that's kind of what we begin to do. And so, and but also kind of familiarize them. We just did a class on the LA Rebellion. 90% of our students didn't know who Rodney King was. You know, and so we went through the whole piece. We don't want to like kind of give them the answers. We kind of just want to show them kind of what they're dealing with. And then what you'll find is they'll start to begin to question the media that's given to them. And it's, it's really, that's what we want. We want them to look at media through a very critical eye and not just believe it like I did with Mob Deep. <laughs> Exhibit C was another one of those songs where I remember hearing it and being like, yo, especially as a conscious artist that's like okay um, you know you want to come with consciousness but you also want to reach a wider audience it was really like seeing like a jedi warrior like a pure thing you know what i mean like yo i'm following that dude you know what i'm saying and i just remember when he's like jlx yamaka jlx or time on i'm not i can't you know i can't say it you know i lost a part of time through your monitors and just being like yo they call me J Electronica. Fuck that. Call me J Elect Hanukkah. J Elect Yamaka. J Electromadon. Muhammad Asalamaka. Rasulullah Subhanawata. Allah through your monitor. My Uzi still weigh a ton. Check the barometer. I'm hotter than the motherfucking sun. Check the thermometer. I'm bringing ancient mathematics back to modern man. My mama told me never throw a stone and hide your hand. I got a lot of families. That yeah, song just dominate that period of time that it was out that was like i mean for artists that's trying to spit consciousness and, and, and raise people's awareness he showed like you could like you could do it like you can make a song and you could cut through i mean he cut through all the bs dancing type of bling drug dull. he cut right through that with that song like a laser and so it gave me hope even to see him, I know people maybe felt like he shouldn't have signed with Rock Nation or whatever. I felt like seeing the most wanted MC, bid on MC, being a conscious hip-hop artist, for me, it was like, yo, it's, it's our time. Like, I didn't, you know, I, n I never looked at it as like, he's taking a spot. I looked at it like, yo, this dude is kicking the door down for artists like myself, and I just got to keep making good quality music and i just roll right behind him i guess in a sense like watching somebody on your team like just monster dunk somebody or like score <laughs> score to win a touchdown you know what i mean i was like cheering like yo that's that dude's on my team you know what i'm saying so yeah definitely i'll listen to that and exhibit a and some of his other sides so i'm still waiting you know i'm one of them people that's still waiting for his album i just feel like his ability to be real, but also drop them jewels was like, you know, it was just an unprecedented mixture. And then that beat by Just Blaze, it was like, man, it all came together and then it just exploded. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. Exhibit C. 
When I was sleeping on the train, sleeping on Lezzarole Lab out in the rain, without even a single slice of pizza to my name. Too proud to beg for change, mastering the pain. When New York niggas was calling Southern rappers lame, but then Jack and I slain. I used to get dizzy spells, hear a little ring, the voice of an angel telling me. I my think name, what makes his flow different than maybe like a killer priest was that he personalized it. He starts off by, you know, when I was chilling in the rain, homeless, but nothing but a slice of pizza to my name. So he's telling his story. It's almost like that narrative. So he's talking about I was homeless. Then he interacts with gods and he begins to gain a little knowledge and they listen to him rhyme and they're like, yo, nice. And he talks about like when New York niggas was calling Southern niggas lame. You know what I'm saying? He's talking about like him being on their scene and getting kind of rejected. But then to me, like I said, he just takes the flow up to a level where you're like, yo, he was able to kind of touch kind of like the street part of it, but he also then dropped some of the best lyrics that we've heard. To me, that like line, you know what I'm saying, where he breaks down his name, you could argue that that might be one of the best four or five bars. You might put it at least in the top 10 ever. You know, and then the, the beat, it was like a real spiritual beat. It had like the voice in it, and it was like, it just really came together with his flow. why when you talk that tough talk, I never feel you. You sound real good and you play the part well, but the energy you're giving off is so unfamiliar. I don't feel you. We need Sean Miller. Hit me up on the phone, said what you waiting on Tip hit me up with a twit, said what you waiting on Diddy send a text every hour on the dot Saying when you gonna drop that first nigga you taking long So now I'm back spitting that he could He has knowledge itself, but at the same time What I love about how J Electronico rap Sometimes people that have knowledge itself Can put themselves above the people And it's like Jay, although he has knowledge itself He's like a a man of the people so he's describing being homeless and seeing people get robbed and being caught up in those streets but then also dropping these real high jewels on the same track i make the devil hit his knees and say to our father you know what i'm saying like to me that's what enabled the song to have such a wide acceptance because he had knowledge he wasn't putting himself above anybody it wasn't like yo i'm about to Drop this heavy knowledge on you, son. You're going to need like two encyclopedias and five thesauruses to, to break this thing down, you know? Like, nah, he just kept it real. And deploy henchmen to come at me from the treetops. I'm chilling out at Tweetstock, building by the millions. My light is brilliant. The rumor was he turned the album in and according to Jay-Z it wasn't any quote-unquote hits on it. So this might speak more to the major label system than Jay Electronic. I mean, you know, look at Big Crit. What was better? His mixtape was better than his album. J. Cole. Mixtapes oftentimes better than the album because, you know, when you get to the album you have to do these type of songs that play to the radio. I remember when the first time I heard that work out for me, I was like... What is this? Is this some Paula Abdul? Like, what? Like, I was I was highly disappointed. I wasn't mad at J. Cole. 
I was mad at the damn label. Like, this is what y'all gonna make this dude do? You know what I'm saying? So, coming from somebody who at one time was being hollered at by labels, I chose not to do that. I didn't see myself being able to really produce what I wanted to produce under that system. When you did those like top 10 lists of 2012, the three albums that kept being talked about was Kendrick, Nas, Life is Good, and Killer Mike, Rap Music. As somebody that had an album on the way, I, was, I felt like, yo, this is like a perfect time to put out music because I see like a shift in what people want. People want something that's, that's deeper, that has more substance to it. Human beings in a mind. What's a mind to a king? What's a king to a guy? What's a guy to a non-believer? Who don't believe in anything? Will they make it out of life? All right, all right. No church in the wild. The Sunday, the God's day, a day of rest. The NBA All-Stars are playing next. Right outside that same city, the celebratory atmosphere would change quickly. Who watching the game with me? You know, Lord Trayvon was repping his hometown. To me, it's just not enough in 2013 to rap conscious or positive. It's just not, it's too many, too many people are getting killed. It's too much abuses of power that you see, whether it's police departments or governments, of worldwide upheaval, you know, happening, whether it's, the, you know, the Middle East, Africa, all over the world. It's just, it's just to me, it's just not enough to just be like, yo, I put this positive song out there and that's it. I mean, I really feel like we have a greater responsibility to our community. And so I got to start with myself. I'm blessed to be a full-time hip-hop artist and this is what I do for a living. And I'm able to pay my bills going around the country and performing. But, you know, I got to come back to a city where a lot of people are suffering. You know, a lot of people are not in a good condition. And I feel like when I come back, I have a responsibility to then go. So part of our media academy is basically like saying like, okay, this is how we do it. How does the next generation of conscious, positive hip hop artists come up about? Do we, just, do we just wait for them? Can we be actively involved in like grabbing up a group of young people and giving them some consciousness, giving them some tools that then what they produce is better. Like I always, out of these meetings I'm at, I'm the youngest by 20 years. And I always challenge a lot of these elders that want to be like, these young people today, I always be like, these young people are product of you. No spaceship flew over the hood and dropped these young people out of the sky. If you know and they don't know, that's your fault. Because you're supposed to teach them. How are they going to know? And so I feel like if I know, and then I have a responsibility to then create an opportunity for the next dude. So we got a powerful group. We're actually going to start working on some music and videos for our One Hood Media Academy. You know, I'm excited to see what these young artists produce. I'm not the type of dude that want to be like over their shoulder. It's like we want to just say, here's the studio, here are the beats, and y'all do y'all thing. And maybe just say, this is like like Ron Fest do to me. That's good, that's bad. 
and then hopefully have them go to the next level. I just walk to the store, nothing more, nothing less. Just steps from his home, he ignores his request. George grabs him, Trayvon swings and connects. Starts screaming out for help, but Zimmerman sees a threat. So he pulls out his gun and he points it at his chest. He fires, but he misses. Trayvon pleads for forgiveness. I didn't do nothing, this is senseless. But George Zimmerman was so vicious, he made sure the second shot hit him. No survivor, no witness. Trayvon never gave his cousins the Skittles. Mr. All-Star Game didn't see another dribble. And George Zimmerman wasn't even arrested. The message is only white life is protected in America. If I'm talking about the condition of our community, I'ma do it in a way that's like, it's like a not, not glamorous. I feel like if you talk to people that were heavy in the game, it's not really a good experience. A friend of mine did 17 years, fed time. His indictment read he distributed 100 kilos of cocaine. That's not a song. So he missed his children growing up. He missed time with his family. I feel like if we're going to talk about that, we got to talk about the real side of it. Like, not like, you know, oh, let's get him, I'm going to go hustle and then go pop some bottles. And it's like, we know you're not really doing that. You're going to take a life. There's consequences to that. So to me, that's the type of realism that we need to begin putting in the music instead of like the glamorization. So that's what I try to do when I talk about that subject. Or I'm talking about myself to try to be as truthful as possible. You know, the album that I just dropped, Ascension, it's some personal music on there. Kendrick showed that you didn't have, like he didn't have to say, I'm selling the drugs. He didn't have to do that. Like, he's like, yo, being a kid in Compton in the midst of all this is going on, that's hard enough. You don't got to try to pretend that you was the one out there on the corner. We know you wasn't. You was working at the correction officer facility, man. Like, stop it. <laughs> Let me show you what gangster is. Watch this. These are real gangsters. These are real gangsters. These are real gangsters. These are real gangsters. It's funny, like my story, like when we first did the Media Academy, I kind of felt like gonna bring these young dudes, we gonna drop all this wisdom and knowledge on them, you know, we gonna school them, you know what I mean? And they were so much more aware than I imagined. And I remember we were having this discussion about Occupy. This is like in 2011. And I remember one of them was like, well, you know, I mean, really, I mean, you could argue like the government's an oligarchy. And this dude was 16 years old. I just remember like, how you know that word? Like, what? To me, I had to like, look at myself and be like, yo, man, like, all we got to do is really like provide the opportunities for them. Like, they got it. So two of our students, one was a producer and one was an MC. After our academy, they went and they made, they did a song every month for a year. Yeah, I remember they sent me their first song, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it made me want to go back to the studio, like, yo, I got to catch up to them. And so when we did the media academy now, we, we realized, like, all we got to do is present the information and move out of the way. 
And they got it. And you know what I'm saying? Give them that opportunity and let them run. You know what I'm saying? I'm really excited about like this generation. And then you kind of see it with this hip hop renaissance. I mean, you see a dude like Joey Badass coming, rapping like a 40 year old man at like 17. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, I'm excited about, you know, this renaissance that we see in hip hop from cats like him and, you know, Chance from Chicago. Dude is nice. I feel like hip hop got a really bright future, you know? off my shoes, stripped acid in the rain, wore my jacket as a cape and my umbrella as a cane. The richest man rocks the snatchless necklace, spineless bitches in backless dresses. Wore my feelings on my sleeveless, my weed seedless, my trees leafless. I miss my diagonal grilled cheeses, and back when Mike Jackson was still Jesus. Before I believed in not believing in. Yeah, I ain't hell. Who believed in me not breathing in? Cigarettes, they ain't smile, all covered in sin. I don't necessarily say hip hop saved my life, but I mean, it definitely was like the father I didn't have. Public Enemy told me about Minister Farrakhan. So when people act like it's not influential, or, you know, sometimes artists like downplay the influence, nah, man, it's very influential. And so to me, I just feel like as artists, we have responsibility, man, to really keep it real and truthful. And understand that, like, we're, you know, mentoring a generation of youth that are looking for guidance and direction. And so we can be somebody that's more positive. This nigga's still getting body for phones. Sometimes the truth don't rhyme. Sometimes the lies get millions of views. Funerals for little girls, is that appealing to you? From your cubicle, desktop, what a beautiful view. I think love is beautiful too. Man, hip-hop is the language of the youth and it's the soundtrack of the revolution. And so when the revolution comes and it's coming, hip-hop going to be playing in the background, you know? 